0: Hello? Hello?
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are in the world today, we're connecting, and I welcome you to, wow, what a show. Once again, this is Rehoboth Institute of the Arts, our live outreach, and we are so pleased to be here. I love the music. You know why? Because it's such a Real celebration, sound things are going well and and when when we do have everything in place, it's just a happy moment in time, and with God, all things are always in place, just as they ought to be. There's a little uh song that my sister sang when she was in chorus. I was very young, and I think she was ninth grade or so, and the words said, Um the years at the uh, let's see the years at the spring and days at the morn God's in his heaven, and all's right with the world and let me tell you it doesn't matter what's going on around us, the chaos that we can definitely see the evil that continues to manifest and uh, the very weight of things that are waiting for the uh, redemption of God to be manifest. It is all right because God is still at the helm of time and creation, and he has the future. I love it. May the Lord our God be praised forever and always. And in each new day, let us remember the words of the psalm, Psalm 19, which I have grown to absolutely love because the Lord opened my eyes to understand that every new day is an expression, a declaration of the glory of who he is. The psalmist writes <clears throat> the day um, he writes that each day is Uh, We see the glory of God, that the day utters speech and that the firmament shows his handiwork, that night is an expression of the knowledge of who he is. And so every day, every day, we know that God is doing what he promised to do from the beginning In the book of Genesis, after the flood, he said that there would always be seed time and harvest. And so we wake to a day where the sun shines and the night where the moon and the stars come out. And the day in the day we hear the tweeting of birds, we see the mountains, which they don't disappear at night. We hear the the splash of uh, the weight of that water in the ocean and we know that God is in his heaven. He's actually seeing to the affairs of the world and the earth and maintaining as he is with us also bringing us up so that we are the born again and recipients of the inheritance that he has. And that is eternal life. And in that God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ to die isn't that something? I think that is in the book of Hebrews. It's all about the testator having died so that the will can be read to the um uh, the recipients of that estate, that legacy, that treasure. And and we are those people. And if you are not one of those people, each time we come on, I want you to know that we are reaching. We are reaching with the witness what we know about him and that we let you know also that if you have not yet received the new birth, that you only have to say, Father, I want that. And he hears the voice. Good evening, Anna Kane. How are you? I am doing well, Phyllis. how are you i am I'm at the top of the world tonight. I'm just really exalting and praising and feeling real good about it. You know things are not always as as we would want them, but God's in his heaven, and all is right with this piece of flesh, this Amen. earth that he formed. so I thank and praise him for it, <laughs> and I hope the same. I pray the same is true of your uh present estate
0: yes because he is on the throne all is right even if no matter how we think and plan which would bring me to what a wonderful scripture uh committing our works unto the lord our Mm -hmm. thoughts established you know having preparations in the heart i'm going to talk about that Mm -hmm. Um, but just just leaning on the lord because yes uh, no matter what you do sometimes um things aren't exactly the way you want them funny Mm -hmm. about that how things aren't exactly the way we want them why do we keep wanting them exactly in a way it would eliminate a lot of stress if we would just not have an exact plan maybe we would i don't know but all is well thank you
1: praise the lord all is well and we're so greatly uh, they're thankful. We're so thankful because God has yeah. not forgotten us. Well, tonight I am I'm looking forward to really have been looking forward to now for the, the second week uh Anna's presentation. We are really in a series that we call day by day. It is also connected to the lifestyle evangelism or marketplace or whatever we call that then. We are talking about living a life that is a demonstration of your redemption and mine. So, Anna, I shall not belabor the point. I just want you to take over and go for it. Thank you so much for being here. And I leave it to you to pray if you like, if you want me to. I certainly will. But I, I think you can handle that, right?
0: I will pray. God, okay. I thank you for this moment, Lord. Um, singing a song before we got together only by grace can we enter, only by grace can we stand. It's not by our human endeavor, but by the blood of the lamb. So into your presence, you call us, you call us to come. Into your presence, you draw us. And now by your grace, we come. I say that because Lord, it's a privilege to stand here. And it's really because I depend on your mercy That I dare open my mouth, Lord Jesus. Just sometimes I just, you know, want to remind myself and everyone that we need your mercy just because of what goes on on the inside, not always because of what's going on on the outside, but truly um, on both fronts. God, we are privileged to be here and that you would hear us and that you wouldn't turn away because on that day you turned from your son. It was because you were receiving us back to yourself. You said, This is yes. the way I will provide. He's the perfect sacrifice. And when it's sacrifice, it's it's finished. And that is what Jesus said. Amen. And he had to take the rejection in the moment that mm. we might be grafted back in, that we might come back up under the cleansing that he had prepared for us with that washing and that covering. That's the only way we were gonna be able to stand. Under you. And then you restored your son back to perfection. Once you had provided us yes. the way back home to so God tonight, we just thank you. Thank you. And ask that you would speak and that all is all that is of you. Um, we will hear and whatever Amen. is not, we will forget. And Amen. we just appreciate this opportunity. So we pray in the name of Jesus for your blessing. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you.
0: Well, the wonderful thing is that I look at this particular work in pieces. We've been talking about Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. This is really her signature classic of the 1800s. And it is also the focus of my master's thesis. And then and now I look at it as a tool that God can use a literary tool that he can use to sort of capture our attention. It is not his word that it is not, but it is penned by a woman who knew of you, Lord. And you know, we don't know to what degree Jane's experience with you uh, was except what was written about her, but it's autobiographical and we do understand. And we do see evidence for sure that she understood your word and who you were in her life. And so this story comes to us to bring um, uh, the, the challenge of the character, but because of all of its facets, there are lots of places in this particular uh, novel that we can glean from, things that will remind us of where we are in our standing, our struggle, our morality, and ultimately um, on the path Lord, and sort of recalling you know sort of trying to uh, look at what our mission in the world may be so tonight we're gonna jump in after having two nights discussing various sections of the novel last week or the week before last being the question of loving when we find that Jane has been confronted with a dilemma. And the romance, the relationship that she thought she was being afforded has been interrupted by a truth. And Mm -hmm. now Jane, she has to make a decision. Her decision takes her away from the place called Thornfield, and it really leaves her in a very desolate uh, situation. She literally leaves one home only to find she has no other home. And, you know, the novelist has the power of the pen, so we can't let this really linger on. She's got to find, you know, she's got to end up somewhere. (laughs) So she basically ends up stranded and lonely, wet, hungry, extremely hungry, not being responded to by the people in the town that she stumbles upon and she makes her way to a home. This home is called Moore House and this particular Moore House, uh, as many of the lands, village, can comment on that, cottages, estates were named. We're not so used to that right now, but they often carried a name, particularly if the estate uh, came from someone who had a, a degree of wealth but even smaller estates often were named and so here we find ourselves at House. and boy ironically enough this woman who had no family stumbles upon family <laughs> and she finds out and the long scheme of things that they actually are cousins but our focus tonight doesn't have so much to do with just where she is but who she meets and when we come out of Thornfield, which was the name of the estate of the very wealthy Mr. Rochester, um, we, we we find that Jane is coming out of a type of a, a, a temptation. She leaves because of what she's not willing to do. But the ironic thing is that Bronte brings her to a place where while the temptation doesn't look like it's the... Temptations that we often think about—you know, what you ought not do—a uh, moral temptation, um, you know, she's turning away from a wrong action. Here, Bronte positions her in an arena which I—I I, I dare say a lot of us would be, uh, you know, surprised by. This particular temptation causes her to question her own judgment. And I've included a little note. It says, uh, Jane says, to have yielded then with Rochester would have been an era of principle. But to have yielded now in this temptation would have been an era of judgment. And so I've entitled this section in this temptation, the question of living. I thought we would focus primarily in on how to discern maybe God's will for our lives when we've been called to do something that in and of itself seems good. <laughs> there's duty behind it, there's purpose, there's a, a you know rationale here, uh, a worthy cause. But as I sort of looked back and thought about it and prayed and sort of l- looked at really where my mind went when I first wrote the chapter, Um, Another issue came up that we're going to explore very briefly, but it has to do with following a path or coming out of a path, but being confronted with idolatry. And at the moment, it may not seem like there's a connection between the two, but I'm going to read through and talk through and spontaneously sort of discuss through uh, how this idolatry how the issue of idolatry sort of plays into Jane and her experience at Morehouse now Jane leaves Rochester but she recognizes and she has one place in the text where she basically confesses that he was like an idol to her so the test of her character in Morehouse becomes a test of her vulnerability to idolatry or the idolization of significant peers in her life. I remember back at Lowood, she really wanted um, the headmaster and her name just escaped me. But the woman who was such an influence over her, it, it broke her heart when the woman married and left. That would have been the one person that grounded Jane during her school days. Well, we don't look at that as idolatry she had an admiration for her but I have learned in my real life um, that actually uh, something like that people who are prone to want say addictions types of addictions sometimes you can see that early on and sure Jane is fictitious but I'm sort of making this uh, sort of translate into the real world we have certain tendencies that sometimes we don't recognize. And here, Jane, uh, probably because of her experience, her background, the lack of love, the lack of attention, a lot of lack in this young lady's life, may have just made her more susceptible to a, a type of veneration and sort of an adoration that was extreme. That could have been the case. But she does confess that she comes out of that. So the idolatry or idolization of a significant peer, um, that excessive admiration that she had for Rochester was something that she lets us know herself was an issue. Ironically, when she comes to Morehouse, she experiences the same thing, only in, in a different way, at a, on a different level. This is a more of a, a, a spiritual sort of a challenge while as before it, it was not so let's read a little bit um the suggestion of idolatry is not overt in this novel outside of jane's confession that she had made rochester an idol but the impact of that mindset appears subtly as bronte moves her from a cherished servitude to Rochester, that thing which she cherished, to one she eventually does not cherish under the hand of her cousin, Senjin Rivers at Morehouse. Now this cousin is a man who has devoted himself to religious uh, um, practice. His mission in life is to go and be a missionary to the Indians. They are in Europe and that was a more common practice then, maybe then, perhaps now. But uh, one thing that Sinjin wanted to have was a companion. And so without going into what happens at Morehouse, there are two sisters and the relationship that Jane builds and the rapport and the family and everything that she was missing seems to sort of come full here uh, at Morehouse Um, She's satisfied in a way. It gives her an opportunity to escape and, you know, to sort of heal. And a lot of things are happening for her. Um, She comes into wealth that she did not know she had inherited. And so despite the heartache and leaving Thornfield, she um, establishes herself here. But little does she know that because of who she is, um, because of... um, you know, just some aspects of her personality, this cousin would take note and then try to lure her in to a path that he has set for himself. So what's happening here is that we're finding that Jane has basically identified her, her th- this type of idolatrous sort of preoccupation with her love. But again, ironically, she develops this on a different level With someone she does not love so let's read a little bit more freedom freedom from idolaters okay it said that captivity is thus both an appropriate and ironic punishment for idolatry so she loses in losing freedom it said that captivity is an appropriate an ironic punishment for idolatry in that it deprives the idolater of the very freedom sought when rejecting God. So to be delivered into the hands of a foreign ruler is to be deprived of options. And St. John Rivers gains this power over Jane. He is her master. He becomes her master. This is a role that Jane accepted in Rochester, but she is now resisting in mm-hmm. her cousin. So, now, did Jane reject God in her relationship with Rochester? Well, she confesses on her own that she does. I'm willing to bet that we would say she didn't, (laughs) but she confesses because of that inner understanding that she had about what was going on there. If her confession then of worship of Rochester is given credence, and the assumption is heated that she was all too familiar with God's commandment to have no other God before him or no higher admiration for anything other than him. Um, then Jane confesses after having been at Moore House for some time that she had concealed and she had lots of regrets and, you know, uh, for her broken idol who was Rochester. So the answer is yes. And maybe what I'm trying to bring out tonight is that this is something we need to maybe deal with. Uh, even though I thought the conversation would first go in another direction, what I slowed down and I said, hey, let's deal with that. What goes on sometimes when we are going down the wrong path? What, what, ha- what What's happening to us sometimes when we're allowing other people to influence us in a direction that really may not be God's will? Well, that would make sense. Sometimes we are knowingly or maybe unknowingly caught up in a type of idolatry and we do become the servants or captive to somebody or some move and in doing so we inadvertently reject god and i know we may not think about it that way but anytime we you know enhance the importance of anybody or anything to the degree that it captivates us that it grounds us it levels it causes us not to be able to hear nor see very clearly that in and of itself can become a type of idolatrous uh relationship or preoccupation so jane confesses that and the question does remain now how does she view Senjin with the same idolatrous perspective as she did back with rochester well i'm going to skip down a little bit and talk uh, try to quote a few things that she actually says she says with this new relationship with her cousin a man who she's grown to admire and let me just make it clear i'm going to sort of highlight that later but uh, before you know i want to make it she's been giving a proposition Just like she was given a proposition at Thornfield, only this proposition presents her with something that is wholesome, that is godly, that is dutiful. dutiful. The proposition is that she would go with Senjin to India, and she would go as if she were his wife. Actually, he asked her to marry him, but not because he loves her. He asked her to marry him because it was the only proper relationship. That he could have with her and travel with her and be a companion with her and so he has been grooming jane let me just take you back if you're not familiar with the story after observing his newfound cousin he begins to groom her he's teaching her the language of the indians he's having all kinds of study with jane he's basically testing to find a little bit more about her fortitude And he comes to the conclusion that this is the type of hand, you know, help meet that I will need in my mission. And so he literally tries to convince her to follow him to India, but as his wife, but not because he loves her, but because he needs her in order to do the work. It would not have been uh, an appropriate relationship for a man to travel with a woman. And so, this would have been one way that a man and woman would travel together and and share quarters together. They would have to marry. So, this seems a little absurd to us. She could just say no. But if you read the novel, just even this section, and if you, I tell you what, people don't like Sunjin because he seems like just a religious creep, I'd say. But if you watch how subtly, and if you watch this man move, you can only admire how his, his skill <laughs> or you can totally dislike him and think of him, you know, as being used by the enemy of our souls, how subtly he does this and how he manipulates her, her thinking and her sensibilities. It's really fascinating. And it's by far, I think my favorite chapter in the book. Um, <clears throat> but nonetheless, um, let's go on and try to pull this together <clears throat> what she's been able to do is inwardly and I quote she will discriminate the Christian in Sinjin from the man she will profoundly esteem the one the Christian aspect of Sinjin and she will freely forgive the other Jane's inability to fully resist her cousin's coercion makes her susceptible to the captivity that we just spoke about. She repeatedly, after weeks and weeks of staying with them and this process has begun, she repeatedly defers to Sinjin like a drafted soldier. Mm. So it's as if she's come into a relationship with people where there's been a great deal of rapport. But in this new environment, there's a trap laid for her or as we're calling it there's a temptation even here laid for her but unlike the other temptation that seemingly the the immoral choice this one seems to be the moral choice (laughs) this seems to be the choice of um, godliness but the question we have tonight is whether or not sometimes the path that's being presented before us whether in and of itself it's a good path is the path that god has planned for us is this going to be what is going to produce good or can it also in the long run be detrimental to us so descending, he recognizes jane for what he recognizes in her what he sees in himself she's got fortitude this girl is smart She has a good memory she's doing every single thing her cousin is asking her to do and it's pretty amazing again i would encourage you to just read that one chapter the way that he does it over time and you think she would see through it but imagine yourself sitting there day after day after day and someone's complimenting you on all that you are on one hand but really it's for their own benefit but it's a it's a very subtle and sort of a sultry type of temptation because what's happening here is that he's using religious sentiment as an argument for her to relinquish her will to his did you hear that (laughs) he's using religious sentiment as his argument for jane to relinquish her will to his will and she vacillates between compromise and resistance now have you put yourself in that but have you ever been in that position where even something that's seemingly good, godly, whatever word you want to put on it, there's nothing in, in and of itself that's so wrong. But there's something about that that doesn't seem to be for you. And there's a, you, you seem like, I, I can do this, I'm going to compromise, but then you resist. And actually there's an imbalance in the experience itself. And so eventually, Jane, this will come to her, but at first it sort of starts to, to, to create an uncomfortableness. It starts to put within Jenny a type of fear. So um the degree of his influence over her is actually surprising at first in light of the fact that she had just now resisted Rochester. She's gotta go, she loves him, it's difficult, and she flees in the night. Um, but you know, this is a different realm. Um let's see. The problem in this second temptation of idolatry lies in the fact that it's logical his proposition is logical uh and I was going to say uh, a lot of rhetoric that he uses, but I didn't know if I was going to he what is he appealing to her through you know logic yes that logos we learn about. Ethos does he have a, a credibility guess what his credibility is guess what he's standing on God's word people <laughs> he's standing on religious sentiment and For someone like Jane who has now established herself in faith in God This is slightly Irresistible So the cause of Christ provides the impetus behind her movement toward this cousin's prop- proposition she doesn't love him in a romantic sense, and he doesn't love her. But that curious, quote, motivating facet of his godliness draws her to most often capitulate to him willingly. Let me just say and stop right here. Have you ever met anybody who draws you in that way? I'll tell you from my own experience one of the reasons why I was in relationship with somebody was because I, too, was drawn to the aspect of godliness in the person. And that's not a horrible thing. You should have friends who you guys have that in common. We, we, we have a lot of relationships where the godliness, the, the faith of the person, something in the person draws you to them, keeps you with them. We, we have friends across the world. We say, we, I love you, brother. The only thing we have in common is God himself. But this is different. This is when you are deferring, capitulating to somebody, even though it doesn't seem like necessarily it's your will, but it is their will. But it's hard mm-hmm. to resist because the thing that you love in the person is the thing that you love in God. It is the God in them that you love. It is not so much the person that you love. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens in this relationship is that when Jane does resist him, he becomes aloof. You ever meet somebody like that? As long as you're going with them, you know, everything's going fine. And when he would see her laugh and joke around with the sisters and and enjoy the house, he would he would uh not really speak to her. He would remove himself. It's as if he didn't want her to enjoy any of the worldly pleasures because he's grooming her for a life of one of mm. sacrifice, one that would require work and focus and concentration. And what his sisters were, uh, were not, they were not prone to be, uh, they, they, it was not, not going to be their desire to take on this walk of life. This was just Sinjin's thing. And so he didn't want any woman like his own sisters, but he saw in Jane something he could mold. And sure enough she's letting him mold her but again when she doesn't act or speak or sound in the way that he thinks is appropriate for this type of training he begins to treat her as if <laughs> um, she was you know being trapped by worldly trappings, and she was being superficial and not productive mm-hmm. so as we move along here i want you to start thinking about before we you know get to the end of just her story have you ever been entrapped in a situation where in and of itself again it's a noble cause but you're not quite sure if this is your mission is this my place is this where i ought to be but you make provision to be available anyway Mm -hmm you train, you plan, you cannot. Uh, it's funny. I teach, uh, in one of my classes, uh, outliers is a, a, nonfiction text. And it's hard to sort of, uh, when people build up their credibility, it's hard to really find any loopholes in their arguments. You know, it's, it's hard to refute what they're saying, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because it seems so clad tight, you know, the way that they've built and, and supported their own claims. But, um, while Jane continues to defer to Sinjin, as if she's unwilling to injure him through her rejection, she's mindful still of his feelings. Even when she lashes out to him once that she scorns the idea of his love, she says, I scorn the counterfeit sentiment that you offer. Yes, Senjin, I scorn you when you offer it. And so she tries to stand up for herself, but she ends up deferring back. And again, if you read the text, he, he continually, continually, he's manipulating this girl's feelings. And you, we ask ourselves, is he going off to be a, a missionary? Mm. <laughs> is this our guy, God? But unfortunately, what I don't think people understand, and one reason why I like the chapter is because Jane begins to understand the man and his own, you know, we are, we're so faulty. And he, 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 I think he is trying to do something to make the situation come together and to be good. But, of course, the forced hand is never going to be the, the, the best path. Um, so he's consistent. He's just consistent and he's trying to persuade Jane to marry him and to, you know, proceed on to India for missionary work. He appeals to her, religiously. He appeals to her practically. He even suggests out of his own desperation that she really did say yes already. Jane, but you said, but look what you've done. So he's trying. And again, this is out of desperation for his own need, but I don't think that he was trying to be mean or manipulative. I do think he was caught in his own deception, Mm -hmm. though the cause that he has is a noble one and it is for him as the the, the text will, will play out, but it's not for her. So what ends up happening is Jane sees that really this marriage is becoming possible. Uh, She says, religion, quote, called, angels beckoned, God commanded, life rolled together like a scroll. Could you decide now? asked the missionary. The inquiry was put in gentle tones. He even drew her closely to him gently, and all that gentleness got to Jane. How far more potent, she says, was that gentleness than his force. I could resist Sinjin's wrath, she said. I grew pliant as a reed under his kindness. Yet I knew all the time, if I yielded now, I should not the less be made to repent. So Sinjin takes on another approach. Maybe I ought to appeal to her more Mm -hmm. more sensitively. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you haven't picked up on it, it does sound like the old serpent, the devil himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. And if it weren't for the fact that I actually have come to the point where I see even you know in the depravity of man, I also see the flaw of the Christian. Why? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes even the Christian for the sake of a noble calling, can accidentally, or maybe we should say on purpose, You, we have to give everything a little thought. But uh, we can be misleading. We can misunderstand that what perhaps is for us is not necessarily how God is going to work in another life. Mm-hmm. So we can sometimes be overwhelmingly uh, possessive, uh, oppressive, <laughs> Um, though that would never have been our early or initial intention. I see it happen sometimes maybe with parents who are in the ministry with their kids. Um, sometimes that that preoccupation with what the children ought to do based on what they understand is becomes a bit oppressive, maybe then sometimes mean, maybe unrelenting. They become, we become, and then what you you've got is you're, you're you're really out of line and not really as in tune with discerning God's will as you may have thought. Um, I think that's what happens. And if you read the text, perhaps you would get that he is still one of my favorite characters, not because he seems to be mirroring <laughs> the enemy, but because of I think the 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 um, what he does not have. And let's see if we have that out here. Jane, however develops a type of fear because she hadn't understood him she says she realizes she was at first driven by her high regard for her cousin and that fueled her destabilizing desire to please him which then transformed into fear but over time she begins to understand the man and the mind of the man and so all that he lacks all that he is not he doesn't have the same understanding he doesn't have that same undergirding and I think she begins to realize that and so back to one of the things she says early on she's able to separate the Christian from the man and she's able to forgive one while she then, you know, supports the other. And it's a beautiful thing when you can actually do that to a human being. You can see the part of them that is true. And you can separate that from the part that is flawed. That's a very difficult thing. But she goes and she says "Um, that he is killing her now does not cancel the logic with which he appeals to her. The fact that she's being in this environment, if you read some of it, it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> she looks like, if you get a picture, that she's being just stifled. That she's just, you know, a, a bowl of timidity around him. Um, She says, you have already, uh, but, but she says the logic with which he appeals to her is a thing that she cannot cancel out. You have already as good as put your hand to the plow, Sinjin says. You are too consistent to withdraw it. You have but one end to keep in view. How the work you have undertaken can best be done, Jane. So if Jane did not agree with the general principles with which Sinjin governed himself, and if he stood outside of the moral scope of the faith they both adhere to, Jane's temptation to succumb to duty? would only be thwarted. It would be thwarted by the same confidence in Providence that was her agent of change at Lowood and the mechanism by which she influenced her destiny at Thornfield. So Jane comes to see that fear has produced self-doubt in her and that doubt in her own sufficiency has added an advantage for St. John. So let me kind of catch up there over time she does begin to sort of see the bigger picture she's recognizing the monster behind the mask okay and she is noticing sure that that fear that's been produced in her is now become the advantage for senjin who has become like her oppressor but is the fear that's fueling his fire hmm her progression however is possible because she recognizes the imbalance i ask us do we recognize an imbalance in our relationships how much of him was saint she says how much of him is mortal i could not here to foretell but revelations were being made In the conference the analysis of his nature was proceeding before my eyes It was proceeding before my eyes I was seeing this I saw his fallibilities I comprehended them I understood that sitting there where I did and on the bank of the Heath and with the handsome form before me I sat at the feet of a man erring as I and I, I will note that it's not that this guy wasn't somebody she maybe could have liked it's just that he wasn't going to reciprocate (laughs) this man was dead set and he had an interest he had opportunity to live what we would call a more normal life but he rejected it I admire him that he would reject it. he actually had a woman that he really did care for and he rejected that because that would have been a monotonous life for him that would not have afforded him I think what he was made to be. And so he rejects that and he finds a companion that would better suit him in Jane. But Jane says she understands him now. She sees him. She's sitting there in front of the fireplace and she says, I see a man who errs just like I do. The veil fell from his hardness and the despotism, meaning that tyranny that he had, she saw the veil fall and having felt in him the presence of these qualities, I felt his imperfection and I took courage. I was with an equal where I had seen, you know, felt I was inferior, one with whom I might argue and one with whom if I saw good, I might resist it anyway. So she's beginning over, time; she is starting to recognize what's going on and we're about to close this and just have some conversation between us ourselves so she um grows pliant, she says, and she grows more aware of the gravity of misjudging her course of action and following the wrong path. And so that sort of ties us back into where I thought we were going to go at the beginning. <laughs> and that is misjudging our course of action, following a wrong path, even though in and of itself, it may seem a good path she saw that sinjin was authentic but he was flawed and quote it says i love this line stripped of that blood bleached robe which christianity covers human deformity she realizes her equality with him and her ability to withstand him as she waits for her own resolve to emerge as we are waiting mm-hmm. for that mission that is for us We do need to be able to recognize that we are not less uh, than those around us, Mm. that we can withstand even the noble cause. And I I, I say, actually, when I was thinking about this, Phyllis, I said to myself, Mm. everybody's going to have to grab hold to this idea and take it with them. There's nothing I can say here to speak into an individual experience because they're all individual experiences in that we are looking to God to discern what it is we ought to do in many areas of our lives, but particularly when we have life changing decisions to make, um, relational decisions, move decisions, uh, ministry, whatever you want to call it, when you think this is a, a game changer, okay, then yes. you really have to seek God for discernment. And I do believe in Jane's under coming to an understanding that, wait a minute, as much as I admire and I feel like I've been pulled and held captive under the sway of this man, I need to rise above that. There's something not right here. And while I understand what he's saying and I'm willing but I'm not convinced that this is the path I should take and so I believe her her rise from under the cloud is what allows her in the novel to hear what she hears and the sweet part of this novel which is the the one part of the novel that is just you know it's the, the 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 extraterrestrial aspect is when she's in the last conversation with uh, Sengen, and they're making plans. By the way, audience, to go to India. <laughs> she has figured it out. She has come to, come. To, you know, she's 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 acquiescing. She's she's conceding, even with the the struggle here. But because she begins to recognize really what has happened, I think she is now more attuned to hearing rightly, and so now that the interactions and we close with with the novel with this her interactions with her peers they've been based on her position as up to this point Uh, she's had class inequality um, she's had gender inequality um, she's had you know limitations put upon her because she was a female in this particular area but with Sinjin, jane experiences spiritual inequality based on her own perceived inferiority and that's something i think we need to hold on to you don't have to have even the babe in christ doesn't have to kowtow and drool Mm -hmm. over the mature that's not the goal that's not the objective of the mature christian in the babe's life anyway but nonetheless god is able to move everybody at every level according to what is good in his sight but she (laughs) has this inferiority she understands that now however she bridges the gap in this case Sinjin does surpass her in the religious practice but in the demonstration of the spirit she discovers that the power to hear she has as well as John has and that's the point i want to sort of leave us Mm with the demonstration of the spirit of god jane discovers the power to hear as John has heard god's directive she discovers that for herself he has heard what he needed to hear and she needs to hear so she considers her move to seek rochester as, determining, as a determining factor in determining the truth of that directive, she finds her own mission. And I didn't give it away, but there is that moment in the last conversation she has with John, um, where she hears a voice and it's Rochester. So this is sensational, <clears throat> the sensational part of the novel. And she dro- basically she literally leaves Sinjin and Morehouse almost in the same vein that she left <laughs> thornfield in that dark dreary night and she goes off and her mission is now to find out what has happened to this man and the story is really a good one i love the way it ends she allows rochester to uh succumb to some grave you know consequences and and, then the accident and the loss of his sight which is symbolic etc but um you know coming back to this you know the will of god for jane's life She, you know, she's got heartbreak. She moves in, she finds family, she finds fortune. Things are coming together on one hand, but boy, the the temptation doesn't stop. There's always going to be something and God will, in our real lives, allow us to experience some situations that will um, further sharpen us. So you think, you know, did you stop doing that or did you stop doing that? Okay, great. But just around the corner, there's another type of allurement. Hmm. But it doesn't mean, you, you know, it doesn't mean it always looks bad. Sometimes we're really just following paths that we shouldn't follow because they looked good. But underneath that, just like what she could see with Senjin, underneath that, there, there's, there's a wrong for you. There's something not right for you. And just like the veil fell off of so she could sort of unrobe him, unmask him. We need to ask God to show us that too. Am I moving mm. in a direction that needs to be unmasked? Because in and of itself, it seems like a good direction. And how many good directions have we seemingly followed that turned out to be bad directions? <laughs> you know, just, it's, it's a serious thing. But you know, I, I'm so humbled because I go, well, Lord Jesus, you know, this can just happen right on into the rest of my life. But all of my days, there will constantly be something to challenge me, and I'll need to see more clearly, even when the task in and of itself seems like a good one. So, Phyllis, any comments there? Again, in this temptation, it's the question of living. The Bible says that the preparations of the heart and man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And so we depend on him as we do move in directions and we pray we're trusting God. It says, you know, commit our works to God and our thoughts will be established. So we definitely need that, too, in terms of just being able to, um, you know, guide the way and the process of our own thinking. Um, The Bible says, trust in the Lord in Proverbs with our own with all our heart. Don't lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make straight our paths. But you know what I came to was that Abraham, right at right there in Genesis, he and Sarah thought that they could do something that was going to help the will of God. That would have turned things; would have turned out. But Ishmael became the enemy of Israel till today. And as we speak tonight, we've got Ishmael's line and Israel's line. And look at the conflict that has never stopped. So we do, I say it, but I don't necessarily mean that I'm, I've arrived at it. God help us, even in the noble path. What what am I to do? Hmm. Jane is tempted to concede to a dutiful existence, a noble cause in serving in India. What's wrong with that? Mother Teresa served as a missionary. But as she sees the blight in the temptation, she is attuned to hearing the voice that leads her to the rightful path. So if that means anything to anybody, that there can be that blight even in the noble, path ask God is that for me and just in case you think I'm just talking hey I actually am asking God that right now (laughs) right now in areas of my life is that the path for me Phyllis
1: I am absolutely sitting here um in worship this is a real testimony of how our lives can bring glory and honor to God when we put him in the front, when he is the focus, the, 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 the first desire, the first love, and our commitment is to responding as we ought in our worship of him. I um, also am marveling at the skill or, or just the insight that the Lord gave uh, Charlotte Bronte in writing this book. I almost in a moment felt as if or I could see her write, uh, writing and as she is writing the Lord is dictating to her as if she's journaling. So it could have been very personal or it could have been revelation and then, you know, uh preceding uh, her need also to discern and have this kind of wisdom. This is amazing. And there's so much more that I heard on. I am, I'm stupefied. I really am of all the, um, Uh, All the uh, sessions that we've had here with you, to me, this is the mm, zenith. It's like we're climbing, Uh, we're making an ascent, and we're Mm -hmm. really at the top. Because to recognize when you are in idolatry Mm -hmm. is really big. That's so important. And to recognize that it comes in these various ways and forms and we reason within ourselves to do the a thing this way because it looks like this. Or we are going to do the other thing because that looks right, right. And not to actually submit our minds, our minds, our minds to God before saying, anything or doing anything. It is the purity of our relationship. It's what God is bringing us to. And just as he revealed it to Jane, or I mean Charlotte Bronte, or to Jane through Charlotte Bronte's writing we can look at it 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 reminds me of the um the, the course i took and i've wanted to work it out and make it something that i could use with the um in fellowship with other christians the um it was called the mimetic process right and a a doctor of of religion there at the, when i was working on my degree in dance had us do this it was so, um, it's such an amazing process because you can look through a fictitious character and pretend to be that character in another scenario and expose your own ways, see yourself. And that's what God's word does for us. It's the mirror through which we observe and see. But we have to be willing to allow the Lord to really Show it to us, and then we gotta, we have to believe it. We have to know that it is in us. Anna, I am, I am just. What can I say? I don't even know how to. Be, you know, probably I'm going to sit and write about this too, in, in journal fashion. And the Lord is going to give me um, a clearer a pronouncement of what I have just experienced, and I'm so grateful for it. What can I say? I wrote a few notes uh, to the uh, as you were talking, uh, and I shared them out. You know, so they're written there if you can see. <laughs> um, I do see them. I was reading. Them. Yeah. Yes. So I first clarified to the to the listening uh, audience that um, St. John is really spelled Saint John. Yes, it's the British pronunciation of. It's as if they put the word Saint and John together and formed a, a name, but it's really Saint John, right? And John, Saint John, is John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who was beheaded uh, because he would not change the truth. Of Herod yes. marrying, yeah, he was out he was outside of the law he wanted to marry yes. he did marry his um, brother's wife, yes. and um, so somehow that that rings significant in the character of St S- John, <laughs> yeah, what do you think?
0: I do think that Bronte meant to again do what she allowed Jane to do, and that's isolate the flawed man in this particular scenario with who the man was in the broader sense in terms of his calling. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I I do, I, I believe that there was that happening in in her development of this character. And again, you'd have to read in order to admire anything about him. You would have to read it line by line, you know, Mm where, so we come into a type of admiration and then we move out of it, but why aren't we moving out of it for a reason? But It doesn't change who he is. And Jane, at the end of the book, uh, we move into the next section, a letter from him and the way she remembers him gives us insight into how Bronte wanted us to really see him, I believe. And so it, and I, you know, it's funny, I I wrote a little line here that says, you know, this temptation is intrinsically, it's complicated, (laughs) you know, this wasn't a Mm -hmm, simple mm -hmm. thing that's going on. I don't think it was simple. Uh, for Jane but I also don't think it was a simple way of looking at the end what people call the antagonist but I call him a, I, I have a yeah so yes the name yeah. St. John thank you for clarifying that for the audience by the way I did not
1: well see I did so because when I when I learned of that I was surprised you know I would hear this Sinjin, and in my head I would think how do you spell "singing"? I mean, what kind of, I never, and you know, I, I I heard it like years ago, but I I, I was reminded of it as we were watching Jane again. You know, Jane. Every time I watch it, I think about it, and and somehow I believe that um, that character, the name, uh, stands almost. It's a deliberate in what what you also said there, but I think it's deliberate. Chosen to give us insight into how a thinks of himself.
0: Yes. He, yes. yes.
1: <laughs> he aligns himself with yes. that great, a you answer.
0: know. <laughs> yes. That's a big, thank you. I, maybe I'm giving him a whole lot more, of, I'm forgiving of him a lot more, but yes, that would probably be appropriate to assume. Right. Sure. Yes. Thank you. Uh,
1: um, but but, but not, not too much. Right, it's, it's a noble thing to want to be like Christ or to want to be like David or want to be like these big, big characters. But the wanting to be does not make it so. Um, and so he al- also, I think, was a little deluded. And I often would have loved it if, if Charlotte Bronte had written his story I wonder where she would have taken that, because I often have thought about writing that story. Okay, so so you go off to India, so you are a missionary, so you do give up this woman who loved you very much. It seemingly, she did, right? He just said it would have nothing to do with it. He just, at least in the film, I, I don't remember. I, you tell me if the book is, is carries him that way, where he sacrifices love for the mission field. He does. <laughs> yeah and um what comes of him how does he grow bitter or does he uh d- deepen his relationship with christ is he really following uh the the um the path that god has also called him to with joy as he w- he doesn't seem to be a joyful uh, he doesn't seem to be a happy man altogether he doesn't seem to walk in the fullness of joy except in the fact that he is, you know, stringently holding on to this uh, vision of himself. So I would love to have had it right there.
0: And again, the, I believe the way the Bronte closes it out gives us some insight because that's not her full preoccupation. Uh, Mm -hmm. at the end that doesn't happen uh, fully but yes it's a good question and we can only surmise based on the information Mm -hmm. given us so you would have to there there is a bit more to glean about his outcome
1: Yeah. very good I'm glad we're going to get to it because I didn't get to it in the book yet even though I got way into the I I just don't remember it I I guess but so this this has been for me such a um, Oh my goodness! This session, these sessions, because I'm so interested myself in the way of Christ as it plays out in in the lives of the church. You know, I we say Christians, but I say the church because I believe that the the organized structure and the um the development of the church through Flawed men has has come to this thing. This very this is for me the culmination of what I have been trying to to just flesh out. You know, there something goes amiss there for me, and I believe the Lord has really spoken tonight to let me uh here and see oh not just tonight as we've gone through these sessions and I wonder how willing we all are to face it, you know, to just look at ourselves in the mirror to really let the Holy Spirit put the light of conviction on us and show us our sins. And,
0: and remember add- mm-hmm. yeah and go on. Want, I wonder just, just because of something you said I didn't want to forget, in light of what you just said sometimes right i agree and that's my prayer i also want to wonder if we fall into sinjin's shoes because Mm jake does say that he uh he was pure lived he was conscientious he was zealous he was a good man but he Mm -hmm. forgot and i quote Pitilessly, he forgot the feelings and the claims of little people, she called him, in pursuing yeah. own larger views. She knows yeah. that he, quote, believes his work is according to God's wishes, and his desire that she accompany him um, would fulfill those wishes. So, religion for him is duty. He understands yes. the rigor, she says, but not the heart. And I wanted to point that out. <laughs> she yes. understands the rigor and not the heart. And so often, sometimes we can understand the heart behind things, but we're not as willing to accomplish that rigorous uh, mm. commitment toward things. And so maybe that's one thing I admire in him. As you know, I used to think I could be a nun. <laughs> and when yeah. I watch Laura Mantoya this yes. week, thank you for that recommendation. It yes. came back to me. Why I think I could have been a nun. So, um, Right. You know, I just wanted to put that in there not again. I feel like I'm always defending this character, but I do think perhaps maybe something that resonates in me is in the character and maybe that's why. It, uh, that right. I agree with you. <laughs> also, but I did want to say that understanding the rigor, but there're lots of leaders and lots of people and places that can get caught up Phyllis yes. and become the rigor and lose the heart too. Yes. So I think that it's still uh, you know, worth looking at his character more closely <laughs> before yes. we push him off to the side and, and think that his life doesn't resonate with some of ours. So.
1: See, and, and it aligns with uh, the message to the churches, that one church where the Lord says, I know everything about you, but this I have against you that you have forgotten your first Mm -hmm. love, your first love. And the the heart of man is desperately wicked, which is why we need to live in total and continuous submission. Every day, all day, we need to consider that we are not our own, that we have not the, uh, the sight or the understanding to follow uh, in the way of God as 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 he wants us to, because we we don't see, we don't know, we don't have it. And um, anyway, that that was my prayer years ago when I could, when I discerned it myself, that this ability, this this way that I could worship, worship on Sunday, and maybe by Tuesday or Wednesday, I am caught up in something in my own flesh. Um, when Jesus Christ uh, was being released by the Lord for his ministry, the Bible says straightway he was driven into the desert mm-hmm. to be tempted. Right away it happened. There was no wasting time. God worked expediently and Jesus Christ withstood the temptation. And Hebrews tells us that he didn't, he, there are no temptations that men experience that w- he did not also experience, but that without sin, because, of course, he had uh, the power. He is the flesh uh, of God. You know, God is living in him, holy and completely and yet he is being touched with the infirmities and the feelings of the flesh of men so that that identification gives us a picture of God in the in the way so we can have something to look at cuz we need something to look at we, we are blinded by our own natures uh and we come in and in the temptation the lust of the flesh the lust of the uh, I and the pride of life is that it, and uh, so Satan comes at him in all all those ways, and that's exactly what we go through. And Sinjin brings to her, I believe, the pride of life. I believe he was filled, mm-hmm. right, and mm-hmm. so um, and and yeah, it, it, we we can we can um, understand what he's doing for sure. We can identify with him in it, but God is looking for a pure heart. Mm -hmm. And so that Jane was able to discern that and know that that is not, that it wasn't just right. And many times I'm so sure we have that same feeling. You know, we are, there's a, almost a a flag goes up or a resistance within you pushes back against something. And sometimes we will step over the pushback and do it anyway. Or sometimes by the power of God and the spirit working in us, we will actually stand up and respond as Jane did. Not for me. I cannot do that, right? I love it. I'm so grateful to you for bringing forth this. Oh, I'm so glad we're doing this. Uh, thank you, Jesus. For all those years ago that Charlotte Bronte wrote this novel, I just wonder if there are any out there to compare with it when we are talking about uh, a life that has been given to God, but living in the world. She lived in the world like we do, and she was um, faced with the challenges of life early on. I love it. I'm so grateful, Anna.
0: Lord, we thank you of uh, a standard you give it. I was speaking about that in my class. Having a standard without that, you know, it'll be chaos. And that's what you're doing. You're protecting us from the destruction and chaos of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. You said, "Don't sin," but I know you sin. So I've sent you an advocate, my son. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible says. But you know we fall yet you've given us a way to escape you also said that so we have opportunity lord jesus and i admire the character in its place because you know she actually is contrary you know she's got a broken home broken life rejection and yet she's infused with the ability to see though she confesses her own vulnerability and you know a standard is what the character was given and we appreciate that because in our own walk you have given us that standard and when we fall we feel low rightly so so low but when we're able to stand it's hallelujah that we stood by the grace of God. And anybody Amen. who knows you will turn around and say that every single time because yes. we understand the temptations. So yes, it is a question of living. I need to live with the life. What huh? is the question of living? And in her case, am I going to be sucked, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and pulled and, 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 and stretched in a direction and be manipulated or am i going to wait and then the waiting standing the voice that she needed to hear came and so god i just thank you for this literary you know experience it's a it's a real privilege to have Mm -hmm. books and things like that. It's a real wonder that many people write and include you and your own sensibilities. If they're writing, we're so happy about that. And I'm so glad that you gave us this opportunity to just lift you up and glorify you, Mm -hmm. knowing that you can use any tool you want. And in my life, you have used this one. And I'm so grateful, so grateful. Mm -hmm. And so I pray that whatever will encourage the heart and the soul And the promptings in the heart of your people tonight or those who do not know you, they would seek after you and contemplate who is this God that infuses life and gives discernment. That that would happen. We praise you and know that you are able. We plant uh, seed. We can bring water, but you bring the increase. And we we trust you for it in Jesus' name.
1: Yes. Amen. And we do trust you, Lord. Thank you so much to all of you who have come to hear the live our rendition of this. Um, and uh, we also remind you that if you want to hear it again or hear it from the beginning, that you come in late, then it's going to be published um, to the, uh, you know, to the um, podcast episode list of the Institute of of the Arts and of all things hold as they ought you will be able to access that in the next day or so so oh, by the grace of god thank you one more time the lord has set a table before us we never do it ourselves i'm sorry you know if if ever we do it then you will go away very very hungry but when god does it you go away filled to overflowing. And that feeling causes us to rejoice because we, we've taken in such a great meal. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I really like a really good meal. And uh, when I have partaken of such, or even while I'm partaking of such, as my good friend Roger, Anna's godfather who was French and could really cook, he would hum and sing even as he was eating <laughs> that very well-prepared meal. And so, God, we give you thanks and we give you praise for it. Please don't miss the next session. Anna will be again with us next Wednesday. Uh, this is Wow, What a Show in the series titled Day by Day Living. Oh, I think it's Day by Day Transformed. yes. The writer this week, we said the writer as witness, whatever you do in life, you can bring the witness of your transformed life in Christ Jesus to the forefront. You can also in your uh, work as inspired by God and working through you by the spirit, you can glorify him in everything every day all day be blessed and god willing we'll see you next time thank you again miss anna kane oh my goodness may the lord god recompense you according as you've given to us may he also surround you with the angelic host, protect and keep you from every arrow every uh temptation every uh the, the very slightest uh deviation from the pathway that he's called for you to walk in. May he bless you abundantly and your children in like manner. May our God be praised. Everyone, I say good night to you. Or good morning, or good day, as Gabby says. One one greeting will get over it. Take good care. Bye-bye.